Another episode of the Appeal. I am uh, Brian. Shout out to Sister Cindy Ashby and all the other programs up on the on the Wake Up Radio platform and family. And my co-host is Rob. Sometimes they call me S. Peace, brother. Peace, brother. Man, uh, <laughs> they be counting down. That's few days of the year. Uh, geez, uh, the same way I wish there was more hours in the day. I do wish there were more days in the year, man, because it gets wasted. What's going on with you, Rob? Just get in the mood for the season. <laughs> in the mood for the season. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even a big Christmas guy like that. Uh, I'll tell you the truth. Me neither. I, I got to kind of fake it. But to me, it's more important to be like that year round. You know, doing stuff like that or whatever, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Holidays can be a nice reminder of it or whatever. Cultural yeah. celebration, but I don't know. I find people who get too much into a particular holiday, it's just kind of creepy. <laughs> Cringeworthy. Uh, that's a good segue into our first topic of this evening. You know, it's, uh, we're, we're counting down uh, to the end of the year. A uh, whole lot's going to change in 2022. And, <laughs> and uh, our first issue is those of you, for those of the folks living in New York City, uh, we're going to be having a new mayor. Uh, that's Eric Adams uh, in January. <laughs> but is, is, is it just me, or do we see a whole lot <laughs> of Bill De Blasio? <laughs> you know I mean he's making all types of bold predictions. Well, the thing is, he was in hiding for so long, and now he's trying to go out strong <laughs> and make a name for himself because he avoided jail. And he can actually rub it in Cuomo's face. He, he finally won that their long-running catfight. Well, I mean, you say he's avoided jail. I, I, I mean, that's, it's still early, ain't it? <laughs> One never knows with the modern Democrats. <laughs> yeah, but I, I thought, I'm, like, I'm, I'm starting to think it's, it's an attempt to undermine Eric Adams. That's the feeling I'm getting. You know, you know it's, it's good to be on top of things, but he's Making long-term proclamations, like he ain't got ten days left in office, or like he's popular, or <laughs> like he's popular, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like there's a facade going on. Uh, rewrite. Well, like I said, yeah, exactly. They, he who wins gets to write the history. That's the model he's going with. But the, but, but he's not. He hasn't won. I mean, it's not that he lost per se, but he hasn't exactly. won. For him, for him, that's winning. Look at what he. Like I said, he spent most of his time in hiding until now. So, suppose in January he decides he's not going to leave Gracie Mansion. 
<laughs> he's gonna pull down Trump. <laughs> you have to have some support to do that. I mean, Donald Trump said what you wanted. He had at least a portion of popular support. He got his wife and his kids. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sure they've already escaped the city. And his wife, I mean, say what you will, they are getting away without any major scandals, personal scandals or anything like that. Really okay, you just said he, he he made out without going to jail. What were you referring to? His major nemesis in the public and for policy headlines, effect be damned, was the governor. Oh, that's what you're talking about. Well, I, I, I thought you were referring to... Now, so he had... Some the only real, other real issues that he had was with policing. And he probably thanks God for the freaking pandemic because that washed all of that away. Now, I, I'm talking about campaign finance rule. Uh, the idea yeah. that uh, there are people who would come to him, uh, developers, uh, coming to seek favors, he would literally tell, the act, that, tell them to donate money to his campaign. In order that was not swept up away with the Donald Trump corruption when they got their teeth into what uh, Trump was doing, all the local city, because that's all tied to the party. So since they're triumphant now, they ain't got to worry about that. They can take that right out the news cycle. Whether or not there's any follow-through, nope. I mean, there could be a DA who wants to make a name for himself. Remember last week's show, Ignorance is Bliss? Yeah. Peace my bliss. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, well, I'll be screaming the duck, I guess. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So yeah. So I'm. I, I, I'm not no going. Goose for you. Yeah. He says you're going to be duck. No goose for you. <laughs> so I, I, I'm not sure what the statutes are, um, you know, or how long they can get. I'm sure they can, right? Because you know, his campaign is still open, right? Technically, I guess I'm assuming. Ooh. And so you know, even then, right? If he violates some rules, there could still be repercussions. Uh, time will tell. We'll see what kind of political will there is behind that. Well, that's the real kicker. There has to be political will to follow up on it. And I think that's why he's going so strong now. If he can leave, if he can finish strong, all of his foibles and kind of wet noodle leadership will be forgotten. Look at how Bloomberg was able to not only reclaim his public image, but he's a popular, he's the most popular Democrat Republican I've seen in a while. Who? Who? Bloomberg. The most popular Democrat Republican? Oh. I've seen in a while. <laughs> okay. Because he's open about it. The rest of the party tries to act like there's, well, 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 there's well, don't any consider, real difference. Don't you consider Donald Trump to be a Democrat Republican? Eh, he... <laughs> I don't know because he, <laughs> he was a Democrat and he was a Republican. Yeah, but he's fully no. But you see, his thing is he's fully embraced the Republican uh, messaging and, and method of advertising and marketing. I'm not even sure. He's I think they, they adopted this. I think they adopted this. <laughs> no, I don't know. He's, he's a weird. He's a media creature. That's the thing. He's always been a media creature. This is true. He's good for front, front page fodder. Anyhow. Well, yeah. <laughs> and he's good at it. He's better at it than a lot of the politicians wanted to give him credit for. I think that's a big part of his, you know, his staying power. Out of all the 
politicians in recent history. Even Bernie has lost more of his core of support, unpopular support, than Trump has. Trump has managed to grow his base over time, despite his insanity. We're going to get back to to Bernie in a in a little bit, uh, yeah. <clears throat> but um, I, I got I I got my copy of the sixteen nineteen project, and, and I, I just want to share. Like I'm still early, right? I just I think I just finished the first chapter, right? <laughs> so uh, by no means it is a full critique. Uh, but just uh, you know, I, I appreciate where she, where Nicole Henry Jones is coming from. Uh, again, so this is the book, which is supposed to be an extension of the art, the, the magazine, right? There was a whole magazine dedicated to it, uh, and uh, the book is a, a further uh, exploration of some of the ideas in the in the magazine issue. Um, open, yeah, up the New York Times, and. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I love I love to see progression. Like, like I, like even when I'm reading uh, Malcolm X, I'm reading Asada Shakur. It's interesting to see how they thought before, and the incidences that changed them into how they think now or later on. And um, and you kind of see that with Nicole Handel in Chapter One. I'm, I'm referring to just Chapter One, and so it's not uh, for all those who may be unfamiliar. It's really a collection of essays. <laughs> one of my favorite brothers, uh, Stephen, uh, uh, Brian Stevenson, um, have contributed essays, uh, to, to this work. Um, and, um, uh, you know, uh, I'll be able to give a full review, uh, when I, when I conclude, but, um, it, it's interesting. Um, I think you would appreciate it, Rob. I really do. Okay. I'll probably still uh, at some point. No, <laughs> but there's a there's a there's a point where uh, she talks. He's looking back as a child. Uh, her only black teacher was a guy by the name of Ray Dial, who I'm think is somewhat popular. Uh, he seems to be a man of the cloth, but uh, he was her only black teacher, and. Um, he exposed it to this book uh, called the Before the Mayflower uh, okay. by Lavon Bennett. And that's really what, uh, uh, you know, started her on this 20-year journey. And again, this is back in high school. You know, the idea of the, 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 the white lion is the name of the ship. Uh, white lion is also the name of a poem written by uh, Claudia Rankin. And, and yeah. That's that's the that's the, that's the ship that comes here in 1619 and unloads that that precious cargo, <laughs> and by the bang by the bang, <laughs> uh, uh, 400 years later, here we are. <laughs> and uh, the uh, the what she what I found surprising. Uh, uh, again, this is all from like the, between the preface and the first chapter. Uh, she said that the statistics show that most people uh, don't equate. Slavery at the one of the main, well, I say most. She said nine percent of respondents to surveys uh, equated slavery as the reason for the Civil War. Oh, nine percent. Yes, again, I'm not sure what what the study was done. Yeah, uh, I'd really like to see the <laughs> what was that? How that study was done? Uh, also, where uh, I was asked and what the sample pool was made out of. Most folks. Don't uh, know that uh, Frederick Douglass was a slave, was born a slave. Yeah, I mean, uh, so some pretty 
startling. Well, I understand the reason why people would. I mean, propaganda is powerful, <laughs> but at the same time, you have to really, especially when you think about it. Well, we covered it a while ago on the show, or at least I mentioned it a while ago. That's a different phase of America. You know, the, there is a difference between the Republic and the Union and the Confederacy for a reason. These are different types of nations. These were three different separate nations. And if you really look at the Constitution and its formation and what it covers, there is a clear difference between the Union, which is what we live in now, and the Republic, which is what we had prior to the 13, the, the model of 13 colonies that, that time before. What I also think was interesting is that, yeah, we, we, we think about Philadelphia as a place where the Constitution is written, right? Uh, Northern city, city of brotherly love. But, you know, she, she, she notes the fact that uh, most of the writers were all from Virginia, right? Mm-hmm. And they were slaveholders. Mm-hmm. Most, most presidents and, and uh, Supreme Court justices, even members of Congress, a good chunk of them are slaveholders. Uh, up until the Civil War, right? <laughs> like, uh, like, even, yeah. I mean, in uh, Virginia, Virginia really has an outsized influence. You're talking about a different time and how they work economically, especially because we had a more agrarian and agricultural economy. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, I'll take that. Uh, but yeah. So anyway, um, I'll update you guys. <laughs> Uh, listening as I work my way through. I'd love to hear you guys' uh, comments on the book. Uh, uh, as you, if you're reading it too, uh, drop us a line. <clears throat> you mentioned uh, Bernie Sanders two seconds ago. Yeah. And um, you know, although I I I, I am <laughs> I am a, a race first guy. Um, I, I am also an anti elitist mm-hmm. right so yeah there is a, a real vein of socialism that really runs through my veins and um i was listening to a story uh, um about uh, eugene debs on three line actually uh and about eugene debs and american socialism mm-hmm. and what i found interesting right so we we talk about socialism today as some foreign thing, right? This, this, this uh, Russian idea. But Eugene Debs and the Socialist Party of America predate the Bolshevik, Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. Mm. Right? So we actually have a, a thriving Socialist Party here mm-hmm. in the U.S. pushing ideas that were adopted by Teddy Roosevelt and the Progressive, the Bulbul's Progressive Party, I guess that was. Right? Um, you know, talking about uh, you know labor rights, labor issues, and um, environmentalism. Environmentalism, and Eugene Debs. Um, this is interesting. Ran for president, right? Or I shouldn't locked say he up. ran for president. Huh? Got locked up for it too. <laughs> no, he, he he ran for president from jail. Yeah. He didn't get locked up for that. He got locked up for sedition. Yeah, <laughs> and talking about against the government. But from jail, got a million votes. Damn. <laughs> from jail. So that means people ran his campaign for him. He couldn't campaign, obviously. They petitioned uh, for him for president. Got a million votes. Got I mean, a powerful leadership. 
or probably for representation, because I think he had ran for president about five times. Still, so, mm-hmm. so he, he, he was a known entity. Uh, he died shortly after. But, cool. um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, it's socialism uh, has always some, been something that uh, always amazes me. That's a lot of things do. Uh, how communism, the idea of being communal, the idea of sharing resources and making sure that everyone has something, is, is a bastardized idea in modern you day. To, you have to bastardize that idea in a, in a cutthroat capitalist culture, especially if you want to make it seem popular. You can't give... If you take out that base of security from people, you know, it makes that scramble for the lowest wage that much more appealing. Which you get me... And such, look at how you used... hope For years, this country used healthcare as a way to make people be tied to their employer. And we looked at it like it was some kind of privilege. When the rest of the modern world, countries we helped rebuild themselves after they were stupid enough to have a big tribal war <laughs> in Europe, you know, they all have socialized medicine and socialized programs that their citizens don't have to worry about. And here we are, you know, helping them rebuild that kind of society and while demonizing it here. That's a problem. That's just now, some real cognitive dissonance. Yeah, but that's the point, right? That's that's so essentially you can convince people that it's raining piss outside. You can literally you can not only convince them of it, but you would bottle it and sell it back to them. <laughs> and, and, I mean, now this this could this could also lead to discussions of the failures of democracy. Maybe democracy doesn't work, right? We this can really open up a whole bunch of ideas. If it's so easy, it's not that it doesn't work. It's just, <laughs> it depends on having an educated and informed public. And we have a propagandized public. It's not that they're. It's not that they're not even informed. It's what they're informed of and about. That's why it's easier for a lot of people, while they're on that hamster wheel, it's easier to identify things by party. It's harder to go into policy, especially when the policy gets lied about. I mean, as a matter of point. That that's the starting point for a lot of our mass media. That's why the the Bernie campaign was a kind of a brush of fresh air for a lot of people, especially you know in my age group and even younger. Hey, and Bernie Sanders is, is a student of Eugene Debs. So yeah, but that's why he was such a fucking crushing disappointment too. You can't talk that talk and then not walk that walk. And that's exactly what he did twice. That's that's why they said. That first one was enough for me. The second time around, it was like, yeah, we'll see. And then, then we saw. It was no surprise. And look he at where he's at now. Picking up so, Biden's mess for his good friend. <laughs> Go fuck yourself, man. I've read a bit about Heber Harrison, right? Um, one of the editors of the Negro World magazine. Uh, a Garveyite, but also a socialist. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, he struggled with this. this the some kind of socialist America. He struggled with them because the New Working Families Party here in New York, as far as I'm concerned. Well, and I'm talking about back then. I'm talking about back in the 1920s. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right, back in the days of Eugene Debs. Right, I'm talking about back then. Um, okay. And uh, Hubert Harrison, but he 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 makes a statement that um, one of the regrets is that they never allowed. Blacks and women to join, <laughs> right? Uh, when they were well, first the, getting union. Yeah. 
So what and, I mean, and, are you really following? You, you got to remember the work, the history of workers' unions here in the United States isn't all that pure and socialist either, though. <laughs> but my, my point is, it might have been socialist, but it was also racist, right? Yeah, but he doesn't. Well, I guess you could still try and have it that you know both you know, a socialist and a racist society, but then you don't really have a socialist society where you're not really thinking about the common. I, I, that's where I draw it. I'm not really, I couldn't say I'm a like, socialist, socialist like that. Or I draw my kind of socialism from the idea of the communists. And that's, yeah. I, it, it's not even a communist thing. It's an idea of, it's closer, it's drawn from a more naturalist idea, really. You know, everybody needs clean water. Everybody needs clean air. I don't care how rich you are. That shit, it, you will still catch dysentery and fucking die horribly. Okay? But, but but I just I found it interesting that he didn't refer to it. He he he, he treated it more like an oversight, simple mistake, uh, by not allowing blacks to join, um, and and that 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 again it wasn't his mistake, right? Yeah. He's, 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 yeah. So what he's saying? <laughs> oh darn! Yeah. And and uh, and and there's someone who who deals with you know I guess socialist types, right? Um, they, they've made a resurgence here in New York City. I'm, I'm always interested how to to bring that topic up to them, right? You, it's like we'll be discussed a while back. You know, it, it comes up often being a black and being a that. <laughs> it's it's one of those fun contradictions. But you're always in the back of your mind or whatever. It's always you know. It's those words that you and the promise of actually being better to form a more perfect union. The idea that it, it is really looking for a utopia. You understand that, and utopia doesn't exist. That's the whole point of utopia. But you're trying to build towards a utopia, knowing this. You know, so there's the hope that it can be better. It's the hope that you can live up to those words. It's what's crushing is the fact that motherfuckers haven't even really been trying for the most part. <laughs> you know, and the opportunities have been there and are still there, but they're so easily swayed. You know, so you have to wonder: is there really intent, or is it just window dressing? After a point, we have a type of aristocracy that's entrenched itself here, but it still walks around wearing a flag pin like shit's cool. No, it isn't. Uh, oh yeah, one of the things you also might like about uh, as far as last segment when we were talking about the the sixteen nineteen project, her father was military. And he used to always have a, a U.S. flag out of their home, outside their home. But uh, he was discharged from the military, and he was never able to get more than service work throughout the rest of his life. And so he he never realized his quote unquote dream. Um, That's the story and, of uh, a lot of us. That's why so many of us unfortunately suicide or live Yeah, but she she never understood the obsession with the U.S. flag because she always thought that was very oppressive. It's not the flag. Like I said, <laughs> you hear me? It is a bizarre type of contradiction. You, it's, it's because it, we know it's in person. But when you live in that type of society, which oddly enough, the military is very communist. We share so much, and you live in such close quarters, and you deal with a lot of disadvantages, and you're fighting for things. We, we joke amongst ourselves all the time that we're government property, and we give up rights so we can quote-unquote defend other people's rights while we're literally property. <laughs> you know, it's, it's bizarre. But you have once you appreciate that kind of weird lifestyle, that weird contradiction, it does make you appreciate civilian life a little bit more. And that is why I still refer to people as civilians, 
all this time afterwards. It's, it becomes a part of you. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it does change your point of view. It's like living in living in a different bottle society for any amount of time changes you if you're really paying attention. And that's, you know, you come back to the world, and it's a different. Maybe it's a little bit different, you know, being in the surface or being in underwater or whatever, but being sequestered away, it's a little bit like going, if you're into sci-fi or whatever, it's a little bit like being on Star Trek. Go to a different world, come back. Popping open that lid and getting a blast of real air and sunshine. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Um, let's uh, take a quick break. Sit tight, brothers and sisters. Uh, we'll be right back. This is On The Wake Up Radio. This is The Appeal. Oh, man. So, uh, uh, there's a brother by the name of Reverend Frederick Shuttleworth. I think there's an airport named after him uh, down south. And um, I'm not sure exactly when I first became uh, exposed or informed about Fred Shuttleworth. Uh, so, background. So, he's a member of the SELC with Martin Luther King. And um, he cut the very sharp figure. And I what I remember being reading about was how he was fearless, right? I mean, <laughs> he really believed in nonviolent resistance. He would get his head cracked in, <laughs> right? And go back in for some more. But, uh, you know, he, he, he believed it, right? So mm-hmm. I, I always admire people who were true to their principles. On Christmas Day, <laughs> back in 1956, his house was bombed. Um. This, uh, we should also remember that back in 1956, on this week, was the culmination of the Montgomery bus boycotts. This is, this is the week when the Civil Court, when the Supreme Court ruled that uh, segregation on buses was uh, legal, uh, for, for lack of a better word. So that was the 20th. On the 24th, uh, Fred Shuttleworth, who had a church in Birmingham, (laughs) Alabama, um, decided he was going to launch the Birmingham bus boycott the day after Christmas, which would have been the the 26th. So on the 24th, he makes an announcement. We're going to do the Birmingham bus boycott. On the 25th, they bombed his house. <laughs> like like uh, the Ku Klux Klan bombs his house. Um, uh, he survives miraculously. Um, but this footage of him at the house, and, and um, it's, uh, apparently the house is, his house is attached to the church. Uh, I, I guess they, they didn't have Sunday service <laughs> at his mm-hmm. church that week. But, um, you know, as we, we talk about the, the holiday season, and we remember folks who, who sacrificed a lot. You know, you got to understand what that sacrifice looks like, right? Um, and Fred Shuttleworth is one of the, the shining examples of that. And, and he, yeah, so that happened back in 1956. He lived to be an old man. He, he only died, he only passes back in uh, 2011, right? One in 1922. So he lives to, to, to the ripe old age of, of, of uh, 88. But, um, yeah, as we again, we always function in the spirit of saying Copa and remembering those who uh, 
who gave up a lot for us. And uh, I think Shuttle, Fred Shuttleworth, um, he's one of the figures who doesn't get a whole lot of a attention as he should. Although I do believe they just recently renamed the airport after him uh, in Alabama, if I'm not mistaken. Right? Okay. Yeah. Fred Shuttleworth, SCLC, Martin Luther King. Another popular, you know, socialist could pay for it. And there's a popular socialist vein throughout religion, too, you know. I would hope so. so. <laughs> well, it's, it's amazing that you can have such a hyper-capitalist culture here in America, and at the same time, it's so hyper-religious you know, in some ways, too. If you look at the way the right wing, or the Republicans in particular, the old GOP, it, at its, the height of its, you know, back in its heyday, it was, it had a crazy fusion of the two. Uh, Ian Rand, Ian Rand, uh, fam- the famous conservative Ian Rand, mm-hmm. uh, that's where she went, ran afoul. Uh, she never understood, she, she loved capitalism, hated communism. Um, uh, she thought, she saw her family lose their uh, position in society after the Bolshevik Revolution. And um, she was an atheist. About her crazy. She was an atheist, and so she could never understand how you guys could be. Like, he, she hated Ronald Reagan. She could never <laughs> understand how you could be so religious and still push capitalism. She thought the two flew. And they were, they were um, conflicting philosophies that they couldn't exist together. And Not rationally, but... You, you weren't dealing with rational people when you're talking about the the deal with the devil that the GOP made to gain power. It was all about irrationality. And that's why yeah. you had the type of evangelical vein that was particular to them. They they focused on the and the issues that they focused on, those religious aspects. They didn't focus on the charity so much. They focused on the prosperity and the blame. <laughs> But not the charity. Heck, even yeah. this is a modern example. Look at okay, George Bush. He was supposed to be the caring conservative. Remember, he literally ran as part of that, and he's been able to redeem himself after starting an illegal war that consumed us for twenty years. And Michelle yeah, Obama gave that motherfucker candy, and they're talking about his paintings more than any his war crimes. Yeah, pictures and everything. Well, um, we also. Uh, this week, we also remember the birthdays of some pretty uh, remarkable figures. Uh, first uh, is um, Wallace Thurman. Uh, so Wallace Thurman is, a, is uh, a writer who dies very young, 32 years old, uh, during the Harlem Renaissance. Uh, again, he's, he's in the company of your Gene Toomers. He's in the company of your Langston Hughes, very close to Langston Hughes, actually, and Joe Neil Hurston. And... Um, um, they all uh, co-write this uh, magazine, which only has one issue called The Fire. Again, these literary giants. Uh, and um, he's famous for his text called The Black or the Berry. Uh, it's, a, it's a nonfiction or autobiographical. Uh, and he's someone who we, uh, again, we just don't pay enough attention to, right? These are, these are giants of their time, but uh, they can get lost to history if we allow them to. Yeah, he dies back in the night in the, during the Great Depression. Uh, mm-hmm. They say mainly due to his alcoholism. Uh, this is also the uh, we also want to remember 
Um, Judge Alton Walden, <laughs> who's still alive, by the way, uh, he is the first uh, congressman from the borough of Queens, the first black congressman <laughs> from the borough of Queens. Uh, <laughs> we just didn't, we weren't represented. Right? <laughs> uh, uh, from the borough of Queens. Um, he takes, he, 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 he gains a seat after Joseph Adabo. Okay. And um, he only does a term in Congress. It's kind of controversial because allegedly uh, Floyd Flake, <laughs> can't talk bad about the pastor, but allegedly Floyd Flake goes in the back room and cuts a deal. And uh, next thing you know, um, Judge Walton only does one term uh, in Congress. Um, <laughs> and in Queens? <laughs> you sir are a liar. <laughs> I don't believe. And so that's back in the eighties, and then Floyd Flake goes on to do his um, uh, five terms, I believe, ten years, uh, and then uh, we had Gregory Meeks, and so you know that that's yeah, how that history yeah, yeah, yeah. goes. And then in two thousand, uh, Judge Walton, who's actually a retired police officer, uh, you know, he attended law school, uh, becomes a judge. Appointed by George Pataki back in 2000. And so that's why we call him Judge Walden. Uh, so he had left. So, you know, I, I guess he practiced maybe. No, no. After Congress, then he goes into the state Senate. After Congress, he goes to the state Senate, then becomes a judge. Uh, that's his uh, timeline. And before he was a congressman, uh, he was a state assembly person. And again, it's all from being an NYPD uh <laughs> that becoming uh, NYPD officer. He's a he's a cop. <laughs> so, uh, Judge Walton uh, again still alive. Uh, used to live on Two Twenty Second Street. Um, oh, no, no longer does, but um, still see him around every now and then. So, yeah, happy birthday, that. Judge Walton. Uh, one of the independent. <laughs> he has a saying was that um, you know people who do anything for uh, advancement. He says, uh, my lips have never been that big. <laughs> <laughs> they were, so, uh, I, I admire Judge Walton for that. And we also remember Jean-Michel Basquiat. So we spoke about the black arts movement too extensively over the past year. And the idea that uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat's painting, right, he wouldn't have been able to afford them if he were alive today. Uh, <laughs> That's the true sign of success. I'm not sure. And and, and, and like he 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 was his his work revolved around class struggle. Hmm. He know. did. <laughs> you work. see how accurate my freaking college commie quote is? It, I just I don't understand the modern. Like everything else, I do understand it, I guess. It's become commodified. The socialist movement and the socialist iconography is just a commodity. It's another marketing thing. That's how you can have middle-class kids in cul-de-sacs wearing Shea shirts, unironically. <laughs> uh, for the revolution, man. <laughs> Pass me the grateful pump. Well, yeah. look at, I mean, okay. You remember that movie, uh, American Beauty? I've never seen American Beauty. I've never even heard of a movie called American Beauty. Explain. It's basically middle class. It's the middle class struggle 
melodrama, but it sums up a lot of what's going on. The problems that we discuss come out of that. You know, it's why the the wine mom problems are the ones that get the focus, and that's the only class that actually gets any real policy attention other than the corporate class. That's why that's the ideal. That's that's the mindset that's played to. That's why literally the the class that's supposed to the political party that's supposed to appeal to the needs of the working class, the Democrats, actively now pursue that middle class, middle you know higher income vote, and they're going after the what used to be GOP voters that were repulsed by that more grassroots and you know. Trumpian wave you know, on the right. And this even predates Trump's rise. We're talking about the um, younger Republicans that Ryan, Paul Ryan couldn't even control, the ones that at the conservative caucus that drove you know, <laughs> uh, John Boehner out. Yeah. There's been more change and evolution on the right wing than there has been on the left wing. But the, a lot of the so-called change we've seen on the popular left has been mostly just media dressing for too long. And this isn't even a, a modern thing. It's just become so, they've become so sloppy about it. Well, well maybe, maybe just could it be the, the, that what you call the left is uh, really diverse and that the, there are pockets that are truer than others? Are, they are, but the ones that we're talking about don't get real traction in the popular in the popular media because the popular media isn't interested in those messages because they're not paid to be interested in those messages. So what we, what most people would call the left or the popular Democrats or whatever is like that, the, the mainstream ones aren't really left-wing, they're liberal. And there's a difference. That's specifically why we were <laughs> warned about those types of liberals because that's what they are. I agree. A, liberal, a liberal will go along with anything that suits them as long as it suits them. They're fucking traitors at their core. And Expediency. Expediency. is just a nice way of saying traitor. <laughs> <laughs> they have no fucking core. They have no soul. Yeah. They're, they're self-serving scumbags. And that's why you get the politics that you do and the representation that you do from them. Yeah. So, uh, as we... <laughs> Merry Christmas. This is the holidays, folks. What are you seeing as the big moves um, in 2022? The big moves? Looking at your crystal glass, your crystal ball. I see people probably hopefully getting a little bit more into the things that we talk about when it comes to uh, local business and self-employment. Um, we've seen how corporations can not only fail us in times of extreme need, but how they're not interested in serving a lot of what we would really need in an emergency. They're there for the short term and getting their bang for the buck. And they're honest about it, but that's not what we need a lot of times or else we would have had generators. We would have had the ability to produce even basic goods here domestically instead of having to worry about, you know, importing stuff from all over the globe, the basics. Those are the kind of things that you should be able to, if not produce all the time, at least ramp up production locally to do. We look back at like these glory days, like in issues of World War II or whatever. How much did people struggle, but they weren't even able to 
we wouldn't be able to meet that same measure today because we don't have those kind of local resiliency that they did built into their society. It would fall apart. So hopefully people move more towards that model of life. I mean, you, 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 by, by, by next year? <laughs> like that, that was, well, not by next year, no, but we start to see more of that change. I think we've already started to see a little bit more of that. If you look at the local programs that are coming up, people are starting to hopefully see that they need to meet more of their needs and not depend so much. You know, the government is there, and there's lots of funding there. There's the availability there, but you have to be able to take advantage of it. And a lot of times, because of our misrepresentation at those higher levels, the funds either just sit there or redirected into other places where they're either not as badly needed or misappropriated. Flat out. You know, you can have all the greatest policy in the world, but if it's directed at the wrong people, it's going to serve those wrong, quote unquote, wrong needs. And then you'll always have an underclass. You'll always have an underserved. No matter how great you can build a socialist safety net, if you have the wrong people in charge of it, it's going to serve their needs still. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, we were having a discussion uh, around education and, you know, the need for independence and not waiting. If you, if you, even think around, you know, black history in schools, like I'm, I'm not optimistic that um, they're going to get it right. You know what I mean? It's still going to be a, a watered down version at best. Um, uh, because there's too many people involved, right? In other words, education is about perspective. And I am okay with people having other perspectives. Me personally, I, should, I probably shouldn't be speaking about my, my personal opinions, but I'm okay with having personal perspectives because that's what's going to happen anyway. Right? That's the reason why you're going to have Korean people kids don't have thing. to worry about learning about Korean American heroes in American schools. You know why? Because they learn about that shit at home in their Korean neighborhoods. And they're still proud to be American. And they're still proud to be Korean, too. We need to stop depending on uh, other people to teach us those kinds of values. And we can still embrace those things. Like I said, you can still be proud of those things and still be a proud American, too. That's part of it. We shouldn't let people keep even making that division between black history and American history. Because like you said earlier, when you opened the show... We've been here from the beginning of the American experiment. Well, my point is, it's not you that's doing it. That's, that's, no. that's the way it is, right? But it, it's, no, it's cool because we at. don't have control over those outlets and the broader message and the messaging. You know, part of having not having those avenues of control when it comes to media and broad messaging is we lose control of what the popular idea of what black contributions to American history has been. So if we're depending on people who don't have an interest in doing that, they don't even have an economic interest sometimes in doing that, then yeah, we're going to get the effed up results that we've always gotten. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, the person, well, the point I'm trying to make is that the perspectives are supposed to exist. I'm supposed to see certain things in one way and you're supposed to see them another. And we don't necessarily have to agree, and that should be fine, all right? And yes, and therefore that's that's why you do have to kind of uh, teach it within your own communities. Um, 
Because, yeah, if I, if I were Italian, yes, I might look at Columbus as somebody who's noteworthy. Uh, but if I'm anybody else, no, he should be. Sure, but then you got to remember, there's going to be that Spanish kid that reminds you, dude, he ain't Italian. He's a fucking mercenary. So sit down and shut the hell up about Columbus. Well, that's my point. So um, uh, what I'm saying is <laughs> you should have the right to uplift who you want, and I'll uplift who I want, and they're not supposed to be the same people the same They're not supposed to be the same. I'm supposed to see George Washington as a slave owner. I'm supposed to see Thomas Jefferson as a slave owner. That's what I'm supposed to do. You don't and have to. And they're all valid. They're, they're both true. You know, one is more true than the other. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of mythology that goes into our nation's history. But that's because we're a reasonably young nation. Most other places have their own mythology already. That's part of the problem with America getting our own independence. Why you do have a problem with quote the manufactured white culture that still has tries to keep a toe in these older European roots. That's why you can have characters like Thor that they can push to the front of media culture. But that's a Norse character. <laughs> why are you bigging up you know, Norway? Anything, you know, big up the Lone Ranger, the fuck. Stand on your own two feet. Well, the Lone Ranger was a black face on the black. <laughs> well, yeah. but, but then at least you can do that. You know? Bass Reeves was a badass, dude. Yeah, but uh, they, 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 they. He shot a guy in the neck and, like, split. Damn near made him a pedestal. They presented the Lone Ranger. <laughs> I mean, come on. They presented the low rage as a white man's view. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, but Blas Reese is real. Yeah, Blas um, Reese is real. You know, like I said, you know. But they present him as a fictional white man. <laughs> Again, you know, <laughs> Westerns have always been crazy for me. They're, they are a weird kind of mythology. In the, or, you know, our version of it in the movies. But that's what the American Western really is. It's our modern mythology. Or our creationist mythology. We don't really do too much mythology when mythology when it comes to the uh, founders period because that's a lot harder. It's messier. We just leave that to like the actual founders themselves. That's not. That's why you don't see that much of it. It's more the, the West was huge, especially back in the 50s and 60s when media was really expanding. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, you have any closing thoughts for the brothers and sisters out there? Yeah, propaganda's a hell of a drug. Try to enjoy the holidays, but try and do it 360. I'm going to close out with uh, some words from the great Fred Shuttleworth. Two quotes, actually. Right? Because uh, <laughs> the first one is, you have to be prepared to die before you can be prepared to live. And second, confrontation is not bad. <laughs> Project. I'm going to read some more shuttle words. This guy's been entertaining. He's already pretty interesting. <laughs> so, uh, thank you, brothers and sisters, uh, for tuning in. Uh, always, we function in the spirit of saying Kofa, trying to understand, using the past to understand our present and our future. Uh, shout out to Sister Cindy Ashby. Uh, and uh, all my Africans, Africanettes, and those of you who are African adjacent. Until uh, next time. Thanks for keeping the lights on, Diang. Cindy Ashwin. On the wake up. You, the people, have the power. The power to create.
free and beautiful to make this life a wonderful adventure. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us all otwtube.com uncensored free speech platform